and can be found on page 612 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back. For the director of music of David, a psalm. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent, for people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. For he never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. May it come back on him. He found no pleasure in blessing. May it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped around him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of your goodness, out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Let them know that it is your hand, that you, have, Lord, have done it. While they curse, may you bless. May those who attack me be put to shame. But may your servant rejoice. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak. With my mouth I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshippers I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. This is the word of the Lord. Folks, do take a seat. 
Um, Good to be with you. We're going to be looking at this uh, psalm together. We have been um, uh, just a short series um, in Lent looking at psalms and how we pray um, uh, and how we think about our faith in troubled times uh, in which we find ourselves. Um, and obviously that's quite a, it's quite a strident psalm. It's quite an unusual one. Um, it's not necessarily one that you might have um, heard uh, spoken on very often, uh, perhaps. Um, the psalm um, combines two different elements. One is that it's a psalm of lament, uh, which is a kind of uh, a sorrowful, a plea for uh, justice, a plea for God to act. You get lament across the Psalms in lots of different ways. And the other is, uh, the word is imprecation, which if you haven't come across before, is calling down curses upon your enemies, which is really quite um, an unusual thing, although you find it in the Psalms at various points. Um, and to call down curses on one's enemies is not necessarily a feature of Western thinking, if that applies to you, but it does feature in the Bible quite a bit, uh, both in the Psalms and in other places. And you might think of the example of Jesus calling down a curse on the fig tree, quite a famous example in the New Testament. But even then, to say that, to say that it's in the Bible, it might not sit very easily with us. Uh, It raises some big questions. How do you read this kind of psalm? Should you read this kind of psalm? Uh, What about something like uh, loving your enemies? Where does that fit in to this? And we're going to try and um, hopefully unpack and have a think about that as we go through. To make sense of the psalm, um, uh, it tells a story, and I want to try and capture some of that for us. It tells a story, and it has two quite vivid characters um, in it. Um, and uh, so I'm going to try and sort of just illustrate those for a moment. The first character is the enemy. It's called the enemy. Um, and right at the heart of the psalm, you get a description of both, both characters. And the first one being the enemy. So if you're kind of following and you want to look, it's around verse 16. And we're told about what this enemy is like. He never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. He found no pleasure in blessing. He wore cursing as his garment. And it has this central image of a cloak, a garment, that this enemy has. Now, as it happens, I have a, I have a cloak here. I have a cloak. Um, I should tell you, I've borrowed this cloak from Jack. If ever you're in need of a cloak, here is a cloak. It's quite a, he, wear, he has this central image of a cloak that the enemy wears. And the cloak that he's wearing represents all the evil the injustice, the cursing that this enemy does and dishes out. He is a figure who takes away blessing from people and gives out death and curse. So he hounds those to death, uh, hounds to death those who are in need. He deals only in curses, uh, no pleasure in blessing. Uh, He won't give a blessing to anyone. And curses, if you like, are like his uniform. In the way that a superhero has a uniform. His is this, this, this kind of garment, this cloak of death. It fits him so closely, says David, that it's almost enfolded around him. It's become part of him. It's as though cursing and death have entered his bloodstream. And they are so kind of woven into who he is. So you get a sense of what this enemy is like. He's a kind of a figure that dishes out death and curse. Yeah, you get the idea. It didn't knock my papers off, that's good. <laughs> we'll put him, just, we'll come back to him in a bit. That's the enemy. 
The other character who is there is David. And again, right at the heart of the psalm is David's description of himself. And David is poor and needy and weak. He's feeling helpless. So let's, uh, we're trying to illustrate David over here. He's feeling, he's feeling incredibly frail. This is my illustration for this. He's feeling very frail. He's feeling weak and helpless. So he says, uh, verses 21, uh, 22 to 25, I am poor and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. That's the, the sort of central image for, this, uh, for David and how he's feeling. He's like a shadow. He's nothing, like a vapor. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I'm an object of scorn to my accusers. So he's got this sense in which he is frail and weak. So um, he describes himself as, I'm shaken off like a locust. Have you ever, have you ever sort of flicked away an insect from a window or a, a windowsill sometime? That's how he feels. That's how he's being treated. People just flick him away. He's frail. He's gone. He's almost um, like a skeleton. Uh, he's lost uh, so much weight. He's frail. He's gaunt. He's thin. He's got no strength. He's a laughing stock. And the opening of the psalm, which um, uh, Pete read earlier, describes the situation he then feels that he's in, where he's unjustly surrounded by people who are attacking him. So those opening verses, they open their mouths against me. They surround me with words of hatred. They attack me without cause. And in return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer, he says. And actually, the way you can translate it, what he's saying is, even while I pray for them, they come at me. I'm praying for them, and they are still coming and attacking me. So that is David. There's our enemy, and there's David. The, the two sort of characters we'll come back to uh, in just a moment. But you see, he's trying to illustrate the, the sort of situation and, and, um, and bring that to life. Here he is, repaid um, with evil for, for good and unable to do anything. Now, I hope this can help us see what the psalm is saying. It's saying a couple of things, and hopefully that sort of illustration of who's uh, involved in it. The first of, of, of the two things that the psalm is saying is, injustice needs to be dealt with. Injustice needs to be dealt with. So the enemy... Who, do you remember? He's, so the enemy is set on taking away blessing and giving out curse and giving out death. And David is saying, justice needs to be done. And actually, he needs a taste of his own medicine as he dishes out death to everything. So the verses, which are so striking and strident and quite hard in some ways to read, they are all, they're all reversals. They're reversals of life-giving blessings. In fact, many are, are their reversals, really, of the kind that we've seen in Genesis. If you happen to have been with us, we've been looking at the early chapters of Genesis, and you'll see in, in those early chapters, there are many things that God gives, blessings of life and goodness um, and purpose. And the way David speaks here, he's asking for reversals of those things. So when he says that his um, justice needs to be done, um, he says, uh, verse 8 and 9, he talks about, may his days be short, may he die. So may he not have life, life that God gives and that comes from his hands. And in verse 8, he talks about, may another take his place of leadership. So his office, his job, may that be stripped, taken from him. And if you think back to Genesis, that actually God's purpose for us was that we, we, humanity might have a good rule over the earth. We might have an office and a leadership. 
And he says, may that be stripped of him. He doesn't, uh, he shouldn't have that. Um, uh, he talks about his children being wandering beggars. Um, uh, back in uh, Genesis, it's the thing that happens to Cain after he commits the first murder. He, say, he worries, he agonizes, I will now roam and I will wander and, and no one will take me uh, in Genesis 4. And in fact, he's driven out. Uh, he wants him to be driven out like um, Adam and Eve were. So he says, uh, may his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven out from their ruined homes. A bit like God drove out Adam and Eve from the garden. Um, it says uh, then next, may a creditor seize all he has. Now, it sounds a lot like economic sanctions, doesn't it? Which in the time that we live, we're aware of. And in fact, there's a sense in that. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. So again, that sense of God-given fruitfulness that we're meant to have. He's saying, may that be cut off. May others take his fruitfulness away from him. And instead of a family line, again, another big feature of God's plan and purposes for humanity, may there only be family disgrace. May there only be family disgrace. And David is saying, can you see, he's saying he can't be allowed to go on with this, this this enemy who deals only in death and cursing and injustice. Injustice, something must be done about it. He must be stopped. It needs to come to an end. So injustice needs to be dealt with. But the second thing then the psalm is saying is only God can do that. Only God can do it. Only God can do this. And that's where his appeal in the second half of the psalm goes. Verses 21 and 26 in particular, he says, But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. God's unfailing love, his hesed, his covenant faithfulness, his love to his people. He's saying, Lord, only you can do this, and only on the basis of your name and your love for us can you act and do this. And David is clear in that sense that he can't do anything. That's why he, he feels so weak. He feels like he has no strength. He feels like he has no power in him to, to respond to this enemy who besets and besieges him. And so he says repeatedly, if you look through the verses that are there, he uses the word your, for your name's sake, Lord, out of the goodness of your love, according to your unfailing love, let them know it is your hand that you have done it. Lord, I am weak. I can't do it this. I can't, I, I, there's nothing I can do. But you, Lord, can. Would you, Lord, show that you can act and so that's David's kind of plea that, he would, that God would act on his behalf. And verse 29 is quite helpful for us um, because of what he says in verse 29, May my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak. And he comes back to that idea. So what he's asking for is that his enemy, remember I said shrouded in this cloak of death and, and, uh, and despair and, and cursing, What he's actually asking in the verse there, 29, you can translate it. May God wrap him up in this cloak so that it muffles and silences him. Sort of like this. He's saying, Lord, would you silence my enemy so that, verse 30, I, David's, I can speak and rise. 
I can have a voice. As he says, verse 30, with my mouth I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshippers I will praise him. Would you silence my enemy? Would you muffle and bring him to an end so that my voice can rise? And these two truths, these two truths, that, so injustice needs to be dealt with and only God can do it. They're actually they're profoundly important um, in the Bible. You can, they, they run through, there's something in a sense you have to hold them in tension. Um, and as we look, take the, how do you take them into the New Testament? How do you take them um, on from here with a psalm like this? I want to draw out a couple of um, kind of implications and things from this, from those two kind of key truths. Injustice needs to be dealt with, but only God can do it. First, if we dismiss this psalm, which we may want to do, we may want to sort of write it off and say, oh, I, I, I don't want to listen to it. If we dismiss this, we are missing out on the scriptures and their cry that injustice needs to be dealt with. We're actually missing out on something profound in the scriptures that says evil needs to be dealt with. It needs to be confronted and named and injustice needs to be brought to an end. And if we miss out on this psalm, we miss out on that voice. And if you think about what that means, even as we watch our news screens, as, we, you know, as you scroll through uh, news feeds on the internet, actually as, you, as we watch what is happening in Ukraine, as we see what's unfolding in Mariupol and the siege that is happening there, the scriptures would say it's right to say there is injustice. It is, it, it's right to say this is wrong. It needs to be brought to an end. And perhaps even in places which aren't so much in our readily in our news feeds at the moment, places like Afghanistan and what is happening uh, with the lack of resources and poverty and food, and food shortages there, it's right to say this is unjust. This is wrong. It needs to be dealt with. Perhaps not just internationally, but even nationally here. If you follow the news story and you watched uh, the account of what happened to uh, the young girl uh, named as Child Q um, in uh, the past uh, week or so, and the injustice that happened to her, it's right to say that this is wrong. This should not happen. And even in our own experience, perhaps in our own lives, uh, when we have faced injustice, when, when someone has done wrong to us, it is right to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, this is wrong. This needs to come to an end. There is evil and injustice. It's right to want justice to be done. And if we, if we dismiss the psalm, we actually lose one of the important voices in Scripture that says that to us. So that's the first thing. The second, then, if we don't look carefully... And we might miss that only God can do this. We might miss what it is saying about the Lord and how he acts. And that it's not our place to take vengeance. As the, the, we go through into the New Testament, and I would direct you particularly to Romans 12, if you want to read and reflect on that this week. You might have a look there at what um, uh, Paul is saying in Romans 12 about um, uh, a vengeance, uh, re- uh, revenge. How we, it's not our place. The Bible is very clear. It's God's prerogative alone to administer justice and to deal with it. Now, um, as a side note, for, if you want to read a little bit more and reflect on that, how does, you might be asking, well, how does God do that? Three ways that we might um, uh, see that. First, um, at the final judgment, uh, God is very clear, and the Bible is clear about uh, that wrongs will be righted, things will be determined, and justice will be seen to happen. 
Second, the Bible talks about the ways in which God at times hands over a society to itself as it turns its back on God and allows it to reap what it has sown and allows in a, 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 a judgment to fall upon a society at times. And then third, that's Romans 12 explains, that God has in his uh, goodness given certain powers to the states and state authorities to act and administer justice and to determine what is wrong and what is right and to see justice done accordingly. And so it is, it is right to be able to pray for those who are in authority and those who are exercising, exercising leadership and try to figure out what should or shouldn't be done in uh, Ukraine and parts of Europe and so on. It's actually right to be praying for them. God has sanctioned and given certain power to the state in that way. So if that's a side note, if you want to follow that up, Romans, as I say, Romans 12, have a look through um, there. But why is it so important that it is God's act alone, that it is God's hand alone and his prerogative? It's because we aren't able to call for justice without realizing that somewhere along the line we are someone else's enemy as well ourselves. Actually, that we can't, uh, we can't make a great cry for justice without realizing that the problem lies in each of us as well as in others. That we may not have a cloak and look quite so villainous as that, but we have a cloak that shrouds our own hearts. That Jesus said, when he taught, anyone who is angry at their brother or sister will face judgment but actually the seeds of it lie in our own hearts. And who among us can't say that at some point we have thought a curse down upon those whom we have disagreed with or uh, come into conflict with? That actually the moment we call for justice and cry out for it, then actually we know that in, in some way or other we are all in trouble if, trust, if justice were truly to be done. And if we took this call for justice seriously, it would, be, it, would, it would come back at us. So if we dismiss it, we're missing out on that cry for justice. If we don't look carefully, we might miss out that only God can do it. And we need, that tension sits here in the psalm, we need more of the Bible's story to know exactly how is God going to resolve that? How is he going to deal with that? And as we draw towards Easter, that is the story that we will see unfold. As we see Jesus draw towards the cross, he knows he goes to the cross. He goes to the cross saying, that cloak, that garment, that curse, that is why I came. It's as if Jesus says, I came to take this curse, to take it on to myself. And where the psalmist says, may it go deep into his bones and into his bloodstream, so to speak, Jesus said, that's why I came, that I might absorb the infinite justice that is needed for all of humanity. It might seep deep into me, that I might bear it, I might take it on, that then you and I can step away from it and step out of it. That he said, I came, that on a cross I might bear this that you don't have to, that you can go free. And in fact, you can be clothed with my righteousness. You can be given a new garment of my perfect humanity and righteousness. 
And that is where we'll see this story taken into Easter. And I think this psalm can help us pray, can help us rightly cry out for justice. As we look around the world, as we see in our own experience and what we're watching unfold, Lord, please do justice. Allow it to be done. But knowing also only God can achieve that. Only God can do it fully. And it is why he came on the cross for us, why he came to die, that he might take that curse and absorb it into himself that we might walk free.